Hi guys, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. I'm Joel. I'm Billy Ray. And today, we shall be discussing Season 4, Episode 2, Smiles of a Summer Night. Mm, That is a gorgeous title. It is a really nice title. I think it's really pretty. Uh, so we'll be doing the the usual. So I will be doing the um, overview of the episode, and B will be giving us the trivia. So do you have anything to get started? He does apparently have some good shit. So this episode was written by Bob Daly and Matt Berry, and directed by David Grossman, and it aired on the seventh of October two thousand and seven. The title of the episode, Smiles of a Summer Night, comes from the film of the same name. Like almost all of the other episode titles, this one has a connection to Stephen Sondheim, as his musical, A Little Night Music, is based on the film. Yes. The international titles are as follows. The Croatian, Czech, Hebrew, Spanish, and Greek are Smiles of a Summer Night. The French is Nothing is More Deceptive Than a Smile. The French-Canadian is False Smile. The Italian title is A Smile's Shadow. I like that one. That's quite poetic. Mm. The Polish is The Second Side of the Smile. But my favourite is the German and Hungarian, which is Pie Battle. Okay, that's brilliant. <laughs> pie Battle. That is... <laughs> that's fantastic. It's referring to a very specific plotline, but it's so funny. <laughs> um, this is the first episode since season three's Bang, in which the character of Mary Alice Young is seen. Mm-hmm. I've also got some sort of um, a few season, overall season trivia bits. So this is the first season that the synthesized version of Danny Elfman's main title theme was used. And it would be like this for the rest of the series. I don't even notice the difference. I do. I do. I do. This season was also, it premiered a little bit later than planned in the UK. The late season start in the, the UK was because of a strike. Channel 4 intended to start showing season 4 in January, but they didn't want to start showing the season only to have to take a break halfway through because of the lack of episodes available. And it actually aired um, in most of the UK from the 30, either the 30th of March or the 31st of August. There was two dates on my research and I couldn't figure out why. Most um, of the UK. Yeah. Um, a few days later for Wales. Its original airing for the US was the 30th of September, so yeah, quite late. Mm. Also, Desperate Housewives was eventually forced to take a break because of Big Brother 9 in the summer. <laughs> I'm nine. sorry, you paused Desperate Housewives for Big Brother? It was anticipated that Desperate Housewives would have finished by June, but this was not the case. <laughs> this was obviously UK, I'm guessing. Yeah, Big Brother took up the 9pm or 10pm slot every day from the 5th of June 2008 until the 5th of September 2008, so there wasn't room for Desperate Housewives in the schedule, and as there were still seven episodes left of the show as of June, Channel 4 waited until Big Brother had finished to resume showing them. Mm. Um, The episodes then returned with episode 11, Sunday on Wednesday the 3rd of December, Mm. at the earlier time of half nine between two episodes of the Big Brother Day 90 eviction. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. There's also a little bit of strange continuity, or maybe a lack of continuity would be more accurate, because Gabby asks Edie what she wants for her upcoming birthday, and her birthday... Well, her birthday comes up in this episode, right? Yeah. But in Into the Woods, Edie told Carlos that her birthday was in two weeks, and then in Now You Know... Four weeks has passed since getting married today, 
So Edie's birthday would have already passed at this point. Oh, I did think there was something iffy about Edie's birthday. When it was mentioned, I had in my memory that we'd already had it. We should have. It should be passed with all of the mentions and the timings. Mm. But So a little bit of a, a continuity goof, if you will. Yeah. Which okay. is fine. And um, unfortunately, other than that, very tragically, Stephen Sondheim, who has connections with this show because all of the titles are based on his works or things that he's worked on, things that he's done, passed away quite recently after we recorded the first episode and before we recorded this episode on the 26th of November at age 91. Mm. Stephen Sondheim's, some of his best known works as composer or lyricist were in things such as A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Company, Follies, A Little Night Music, Sweeney Todd, The Dean Barbara Fleet Street, Sunday in the Park with George, and Into the Woods, just to name a few. Just to name a few that have also been mentioned in this show. Mm. And so I feel like it's a more than established enough connection for us to mention it. Oh, definitely. I mean, Stephen Sondheim was theatre royalty. Indeed. And the theatre community has lost a massively talented part of the community with this one tragic loss. So um, rest in peace, Stephen Sondheim, and thank you for all of you. As a thespian, a massive, massive theatre lover, rest in peace. Yes. You did great work. Sweeney Todd is one of my favourite musical soundtracks. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of these other ones I really want to watch, especially Into the Woods. I really want to watch Into the Woods. Yeah, yeah. The the, the stage. The stage show, (laughs) not the movie. We don't need to talk about the movie. Even Stephen Sondheim wasn't happy with the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, he did some really good work. And um, he will be missed by his family, his friends, but also a wide variety of the theatre and musical community. Mm. Yes. The gays miss you. We do. We really do. Already. It's been like two days. <laughs> and that is all I have. Okay. So let's get started. Previously on Desperate Housewives. Catherine, an old friend of Susan's, makes a fabulous return to the lane, but she does quickly get the other residents talking. Dylan doesn't seem to remember anything about her childhood growing up on the lane. Susan and Mike are scheduled to have a baby now. She is preggers. Lynette reveals her cancer to the neighbourhood, Gabby and Carlos begin an affair, and Edie found out about Carlos's offshore bank account. I love that you said that Susan and Mike are scheduled to have a baby as if it's in, like, their team's calendar. Yeah, well, <laughs> I do just have it as Adam reveals that Susan is pregnant, but I hate that, st- I hate that the way I wrote that sentence. So I was like, let's just mix it up. <laughs> I liked it, I thought it was... Let's improv. Uh, I thought it was funny. Um, so that's basically everything from the first episode of season four. So we open the episode and it is Tuesday afternoon and there was a crime wave that hit the residents of Wisteria Lane and we cut to Carlos and Gabby who are having a discussion about why neither one of them have left their other halves yet. Carlos feels Edie is too sensitive to dump and Gabby won't leave Victor until Carlos is available and Carlos is getting ready to go back to Edie's when Edie turns up at Gabby's asking after Carlos. (laughs) Ida Greenberg apparently claims she saw him on Gabby's porch. Ida's just such a gossip. Yeah, I know, right? She's like, oh, yeah, I saw him all the way over there making out with Gabby. Do you know what your boyfriend's doing? <laughs> Gabby manages to salvage the situation by telling Edie that she just saw Carlos let himself into her house. And that gets rid of Edie. But then panic begins to set in when Carlos asks how he's supposed to get to Edie's before she gets home without being seen. Yeah, she didn't think that through, did she? No, she really didn't. That was hilarious. She was, she was focusing on the now and not thinking about the future. <laughs> That's very Gabby. 
Gabby quickly runs out to Edie, who, I would like to point out, drove to Gabby's. Yes, I wrote a note. So she runs out to stop Edie from driving away to distract her. But why did Edie drive here? I've got no idea why Edie needed to drive to Gabby's. That is so lazy. Bearing in mind that you can see her house yeah, from it's, Gabby's it's, house. It's 10 feet. It's 10 feet up the road. Like, <laughs> it's not far. And we know that she's just come from home because she says that Carlos isn't there. Yeah. Uh, So, Gabby slowly starts to ask her what she wants for her upcoming birthday, while Carlos sneakily runs through everyone's back gardens, destroying barbecues and ruining clean clothes, before he finally steals a skateboard, latches onto Edie's car, and runs round the back of the house to find himself locked out, so he breaks in to save the situation, and then claims that it was someone else that clearly broke in, but stole nothing. Now, if you're a film buff like me, or even if you're not a film buff, but you've seen films, you may notice that this is... Most likely a very clear, like, homage to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, in which he runs through all of the gardens, he jumps over a trampoline, and he runs past some people having a barbecue, like, dinner's ready, hey ladies, blah, blah, blah. Except in this one, Carlos is not very good at it, and he destroys, he, like, wrecks clothes and bushes and things, and it's, like, kind of the opposite of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah, and he also sees no one. And oddly enough, when I was doing my trivia, I couldn't find a single post anywhere that spoke about how this is paying homage to Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but I thought it must be. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is just coincidence. Maybe. But that was a good spot. So, we then get the title sequence, and we go back to Mary Alice talking about the emotions that you will never, ever see on Wisteria Lane, whilst we get a shot of the various day player residents doing all of their things. Yeah. And Mary Alice claims there is a surefire way to hide your secrets in the suburbs, and that's apparently with just a smile. And we cut to Brie, Susan and Gabby, who are talking about Catherine and Julie's conversation with Dylan in the previous episode. Kind of interesting that they brought up smiling again. Mm. I think they did that last season, when they were saying that Orson's got the smile down cold. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. That was the one with Rex, but it wasn't Mary Alice that spoke about smiling, so maybe that's why she felt like she could get away with it this time. Yeah, Because someone else spoke about it instead, not her. (laughs) I'm going to upstage Rex. (laughs) So, Susan tells the girls that Dylan doesn't remember anything about living here, and Julie doesn't think it's the same girl. Brie asks if anything happened while she was living here that may have made Dylan block it out, but at that moment, Catherine appears. In an attempt to avoid making it look like they were talking about her, Gabby tries to save the situation by claiming they're talking about Susan, but Catherine points out that Susan is right there. What is wrong with you today, Gabby? I've got no idea. Why are you acting like Susan? Who are we talking about today? Uh, Susan? She's right there. Oh my god! (laughs) Have you been here this whole time? (laughs) I I just love that this morning they're gathered around and they're gossiping with their coffees in those massive mugs. Yeah. Like, how caffeinated do you need to be? Those mugs are huge. The only one missing is Lynette. Yeah, well, she's got cancer. Yeah. She's probably out of the hospital. Speaking of Lynette, Catherine changes the subject to her and how she thinks they should get together and do a lunch to cheer her up. Everyone agrees and Brie takes over the organising, telling each lady what they should bring, giving Catherine a simple green salad. Oof. (laughs) What did you think of that? Um, I mean, it's pretty shitty. Right? I watched it and I thought, Brie, it is pretty Catherine's shame. the one that is organising this lunch and you can't just take over like that. And to just give someone a simple green salad, like, I know she gave Susan beverages, because Susan always does beverages, apparently, but you should surely be able to give Susan the salad. Right? Imagine if you were like, I'm going to throw a party, and then someone's like, someone's like, that's a great idea, so we'll do the, we'll do that at my house. Um, you can bring, you, you bring the plastic cups. Yeah. It's like, um, I wanted to do something. 
The problem is, it's the head honchos going at each other. So if Brie lets Catherine bring the dessert this one time, she's going to regret it forever. Mm-hmm. Also, it's not the head honchos going at it. It's someone going at the head honcho. Catherine is nowhere near head honcho status. Oh, but she wants to be. She wants to be, but she is nowhere near that status yet. <laughs> As we were saying, it clearly doesn't go down well with Catherine, who wants to do dessert, but Brie states that she always brings dessert. I always bring dessert. <laughs> A bit of a standoff happens, and Susan saves the day by offering Catherine her salad bowl and telling her not to miss Bree's perfect pie, which mm. could be uh, sort of a euphemism, but in this instance, it wasn't. No, it was not, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine can't argue with that, but before she leaves, she cuts a loose thread off of Bree, claiming that now she is perfect. Right. And leaves the girls all gagged at the cheek, the nerve, the audacity, the gall, and the gumption of I, Catherine. I mean, Catherine's the only person that's ever felt brave enough to stand up to Brie, apparently. Yeah, I know, right? She's like, well, who am I to argue with perfection? <laughs> oh my god, just the, the audacity. But also, go on, Catherine. <laughs> right, why not? Someone should knock this girl down a peg. So that was a very interesting scene. Again, only episode two, and this is like the second time they've gone at each other. Yeah, I think Brie maybe was trying to assert herself a little bit there. Yeah, but I'm sure it will come up again later in the episode. Who can say? I know. <laughs> so we cut to Lynette, who is, as B said, at chemo. She's at the hospital with Tom, who is struggling to proceed as normal, reminiscing about how strong she has been during various points in her life whilst playing cards. But Lynette notices that Tom seems to be letting her win, which just pisses her off. And when Tom gets emotional, again, she kicks him out of her chemo sessions for depressing her. I would get really annoyed too. I, I mean, it's very funny though how annoyed she's getting at Tom reminiscing because she just wants to play a hard game and be distracted and comforted while she's, you know, going through chemo. Yeah, like, it's like Lynette says on the scene, you know, there's no need to write her eulogy yet. Like, let's calm down, Tom. She's not dead. So let's not reminisce right now <laughs> they do make it quite funny though they make it so funny how sad tom is <laughs> like he starts crying and he's like i love you so much but then they play like some sort of version of susan's theme under it and yeah <laughs> just get out <laughs> i mean tom is allowed to feel how he feels it's probably very scary for him plus tom and Lynette have been for a lot in a very short space of time <laughs> so you know he's allowed to feel how he feels but at the same time if Lynette doesn't want you depressing her tom also don't let her win that's so rude i know I just wanted you to feel good about yourself. What, by taking away the fun of the kill? Right? Just don't do not do that. Just let her beat you naturally. She's going to anyway. Lynette doesn't look too bad in, the, in a headscarf, by the way. No, she looks really good in a headscarf. Mm. It's nice to not have the dirt-encrusted hair. So Carlos comes home and is checking out a random car, which is actually Edie's birthday present from Carlos that she purchased on behalf of him. Carlos is shocked, claiming he can't afford it, but Edie doesn't see what the problem is when he can just move some of his offshore money onshore. But Carlos tells Edie it's a secret account and he can't just be moving money about, which leads her to believe that this account is just a little bit illegal. She agrees to take the car back when Carlos mentions jail and he tells her that she can pick out her own present if she wants, just nothing too extravagant. I just want to say, I don't think that that did make her realise that. I think she knew and she did this on purpose. Oh, God, yeah. I think she knew that, you know, she can't be just buying new cars and stuff, but she's just playing mind games to scare Carlos in a way. She's making sure that Carlos is aware that he now needs her because she knows too much. Exactly. Exactly that. Before we move on, though, I just want to say, if you were still doing Worst Outfit, or if, if Worst Outfit was still a thing in this podcast, I would give it to Edie here. Why? Because that dress is so unflattering. I didn't see what she was wearing, to be honest. It was a white dress, and it had these, like, round circle bits on it, Mm. which were also going around the collar, 
but the way that they looked on the collar kind of looked like curtains. <laughs> oh, what, like the curtain rails? Yeah, like the circle bits. Oh. Mm. But the dress was just very unflattering. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that anymore, but that was a good spot. It was like she was wearing yeah. something that used to be curtains. Yeah. Which is fine, you know, recycle, upscale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but make it good. <laughs> you just needed a belt. So we cut to Susan who pops over to Catherine's to give her the salad bowl when she starts to reminisce about the last time she saw Catherine before she left the lane, where she seemed a little jumpy and was disappearing without any explanation except a sudden new job in Chicago. We cut back to present day and Catherine opens the door and Susan asks about the job in Chicago and Catherine gives some sort of vague and generic answer and then disappears leaving Susan on her porch. Do you notice how Susan keeps getting new haircuts in all these flashbacks? All the time. And if that isn't relatable, I don't know what is. Now she's got a bob. That bob was fierce. Susan's haircut in this flashback was everything. She looks like Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It's it's great. And this was the scene where Mary Alice appeared as well, wasn't it? Yeah, Mary Alice was in this yeah, scene Mary as Alice well. Yeah, Mary Alice was in this scene. In a very colourful shirt. Mm. Again, they kind of looked a bit like a couple. <laughs> Yeah, they, they do do that. They really push the lesbian vibe onto Susan and Mary Alice. I think Susan and Mary Alice might have been, like, best friends. Well, they have both been on the lane the longest out of all of them. Because you know how all of them are best friends, but I think these two are, like, those kind of best friends. Yeah. Also, with a little bit of context, once you've figured out the overall mystery, the flashback scene's a little bit sad. Yes. Catherine's a very... Whoever, whoever plays Catherine's very good. Dana Delaney. That's it. She's very good. She is really good. And so later, Susan is pigging out on pancakes for her and her baby, and Mike shames her for eating too much and getting herself and their baby fat. Right. Uh, Susan uses labour as an excuse to shut Mike up, and this is when Julie comes down to ask her mum for permission to stay out later at a party tonight. Susan agrees, but Mike chimes in, telling them that he doesn't believe it's a good idea as those parties get too wild. And Julie pulls the you're not my real dad card, and Mike backs down and leaves it up to Susan, who eventually gives in and agrees with Mike, pissing Julie off. Me and Joel both watched this episode together and (laughs) when she's pouring the syrup and he says, Susan, and she's like, what? I'm eating for two now. And Mike says, do you both want to be fat? Mm -mm. I gasped. like, You don't don't do that, Mike. No, mm -mm, that was not a good line from Mike. Maybe we do both want to be fat. What's it to you? This is a really awkward situation that Susan's being put in. It is really awkward. It probably happens an awful lot for an awful lot of people. Yeah, who do I side with? Do I side with the stepdad or do I side with my husband or do I side with my child? And it's probably an awful lot of situations out there in real life that people are put in like this. But at this point, Susan, you have already told Julie yes. So if you to tell Julie yes and then two minutes later say, actually, I'm going to side with him. No, I've changed my mind. Is really she. That's bad yeah. parent, bad mama ward. I do think it's a really unfair decision considering that Julie is quite responsible. Mm. And also, Mike just said that you're going to get fat. Yeah. So why are you siding with him? Exactly. And he's there, Julie said, like, I don't drink. And he's like, well, neither did Missy Taylor, but, you know, fast forward to, you know, the only reason me and my friends got had parties was to get girls wasted. I'm like, Mike, you're really not sounding very good right now. No. And also, Julie's not like that. Yeah. But maybe Susan's still upset about the whole Austin thing. Maybe. Oh, God, let it go, woman. Right, what if he brings home another Austin? Oh. I mean, it's true. She could. She clearly likes those types. In the last episode as well, you said, Julie probably doesn't see Mike as a dad when we were talking about Mike not wanting kids Mm. or saying he's okay not to have kids. And then this very episode, we have this whole parenting debate thing. What are the chances? Yeah, I know, right? What a follow-up. And she's there like, you're not my real dad. And you never (laughs) will be. Yes, I am. (laughs) 
you're not my mother. Karen is grabbing her mail when Dylan walks past and she gives her the sort of old lady usual, like, oh, look at you, all grown up. Got your little speed bumps and everything. (laughs) What's that from? I have no idea what you're talking about. Dylan's interest suddenly peaks when Karen mentions her dad popping around once in a while and this leaves Dylan confused as she was always told her dad left when she was a baby. The plot thickens. Yeah, Karen's not that. She's like... No, that's not true. Yeah, I know. Anyway, nice to see you. <laughs> Karen's literally just here to fuck shit up and leave. Like, she drops this bomb on the poor teenager, and then she's like, anyway, bye. <laughs> yeah, relating back to the last episode, maybe maybe it wasn't such a good idea for you guys to move back here, because Karen's still here. Yeah, exactly. And she is on it. Right? Hi, Dylan. How's mum and dad? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah, now Dylan is confused. So, Dylan's been told that her dad left when she was a baby. Yeah. And that would explain why she's never seen him. But that is not adding up with what every other housewife or neighbour on this lane that remembers these people remembers. No. I don't think Catherine has thought this through very well, to be honest. No, and it really starts a it really starts a storyline. This whole Dylan, my dad, Catherine kind of thing that um really just it doesn't irritate me, but it's just Kind of rubs me the wrong way with Dylan. (laughs) We'll get there. But we'll get there when the (laughs) storyline makes itself more apparent. Uh, So the girls are preparing a nice lunch as a treat for Lynette so that they can pamper her. Susan starts to ask about the chemo, but Gabby very obviously shuts that conversation down. And everyone digs into Bree's pie, which they all believe is, (laughs) again, euphemism. (laughs) (laughs) They all believe it's the best pie they've ever had. Hmm. Brie accepts the compliment until she tastes her pie herself and realises it's not hers. <laughs> this isn't my pie. <laughs> um, sort of confusion around all of the women happens until Brie looks at Catherine and then everyone else looks at Catherine and then Catherine clearly can't keep a straight face any longer. She's loving this. Mm, sneaky play, Catherine. Sneaky. This is when yeah, Catherine pipes up and admits that it's hers and she swapped the pies and a very pissed off Brie calls Catherine out for going against what everyone agreed but apparently Catherine just wanted tips to improve her recipe but according to the other women tips really aren't needed and then there was that shady little bit where she's like well if you just didn't point it out i would have been happy for everyone to pretend it was yours oh yeah bullshit bullshit Catherine's the kind of woman that would say that and then once brie leaves she'd be like everyone that was my pie just just Oof. fyi that was my pie don't tell brie but, but she's my she's, pie. she's trying to make brie look like the um the, the, villain, the irrational one. The, yeah, the overdramatic one yeah. here. But I would say Brie is not being overdramatic here. I would be pissed as well. I mean, I know, I know Brie kind of started it this episode by taking control of, of an event, which wasn't her event. But to take someone's food that they've prepared for this event lovingly and hide it is she. It is really she. I'd be annoyed if someone put my pie in the fridge and served their own pie. This. However, if I was in Catherine's shoes, I probably would have done the same thing. <laughs> this is Baked Alaska Gate, but it's... in Desperate Housewives. <laughs> this is culinary terrorism. This is Baked Alaska Gate. Guys, for all of the, you know, American or worldwide listeners that haven't watched Great British Bake Off, <laughs> there is an episode in a past season where someone takes someone's food out of the freezer and leaves it on the side, and it's a baked Alaska, so it melts, and the guy does not handle it well. And this is that in Desperate Housewives world. Yeah. She takes Bree's pie and she puts it in the fridge. <laughs> that was a gag. That was a gag. 
So Susan quickly cuts the awkwardness with more cancer conversation, and Lynette admits to the girls that she kicked Tom out, so she needs a new chemo buddy. All the girls claim that they'd be happy to sit with her and keep her company, except Gabby, who doesn't actually agree. Yeah, you know it's a super awkward conversation when you have to break the tension by talking about the cancer. Yeah, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Poor G- and yeah, Gabby's so uncomfortable. She's got the conflict to the left, and then she's got the chemo to the right. Mm. And she's just like, oh my god, this is the worst. She's just, yeah, she's doing all she can to avoid talking about chemo. But why? Why, Gabby? Why are you so out of your element? I don't know. This is one of those things where we just, they never tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I really like the panning shot where the camera pans around the table as all the ladies pour in the milk and they all say yes. They do that a lot in Desperate Housewives and I really enjoy it. Yeah, I like the panning shots. Mm. And then obviously it gets to Gabby and she's like, no no cream for no me, cream thanks. No cream for me, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, I really liked that shot. Mm. It was a good scene. It was a fun scene. Yeah, honestly, I think this season could just be Brian Catherine. I'd be fine with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, it would make up for the sore, like sorely lacking brew we had last season. Exactly. Uh, so, Brie is now in panic mode, trying to make her pie recipe as good as Catherine's, accusing her of culinary terrorism, which she isn't really wrong about. Yeah, but she didn't accuse her of that. That was awesome. Well, no, but she didn't disagree. <laughs> no. He's like, that's culinary terrorism. <laughs> Jesus. You suburban housewives honestly have such first world problems. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we have a clip. Her pie was better than mine. Impossible. It's true. Everyone thought so. Even me. Oh, and that simple green salad. Mosh and baby arugula with duck confit and candied walnuts. My God, she plays to win. I have been here for hours trying to replicate her recipe, and nothing has even come close. Don't be so hard on yourself. This one's fantastic. That's hers! Sorry. So, Orson believes Brie will just need to bite the bullet and ask Catherine for her recipe, otherwise she will forever be upstaged. But Brie refuses, and she seems to be going through a bit of an identity crisis now. Yeah, and I do, f- I, I do feel that. I mean, it's not very dramatic. But... It's a bit, I mean, it is a bit overdramatic, but I do feel bad for her, because it's the one thing that she, is, she's the best at. It is her thing. And someone has just come in and done it better, and yeah. it's like, that is horrible, like, that's tragic. How, how would Gabby like it if someone came in onto the lane and was the next model? <laughs> could you imagine someone comes on and gabby's like oh i worked for vogue and she's like i ran vogue yeah right oh my god miranda <laughs> Priestley, move over to the lane please <laughs> so yeah she believes that Catherine is now starting to steal her identity and she also feels that like we say this is the only thing that's special about her you know, cooking what she can do in the kitchen and she's now determined to get that recipe by any means necessary awesome you put up with some crap yeah but so does brie yeah. From Orson. That's true. We are. We do have to make up for the crap that she put up with last season. Yeah. You know, she's still got no idea that he ran Mike over. Oh, yeah. Mike is the only one that knows that. Will that ever come up? Who can say? Mm. So Lynette catches up with Gabby on the lane and calls her out for not wanting to volunteer to join at her chemo, telling her that it basically hurt her feelings and she thought that they were closer than that. Gabby's the fun one, and therefore the only one Lynette really wants there, but Gabby doesn't like hospitals, and unfortunately, Lynette now sees this as a test of their friendship, which kind of doesn't leave Gabby much choice but to agree. But even if Gabby does go now, it's just going to feel awkward. 
Yeah, like you've sort of twisted her into doing this. Yeah, like you don't really want to be here though, do you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be awkward. Like you've forced her hand into doing this and she you shouldn't have had to have forced her hand into doing this, really, um, because she's your friend. But at the same time, now you're just going to be left with that. Would she be here if I hadn't have forced this? Exactly. It's going to be awkward. Yeah. Uh, so Susan sneaks down to a still upset Julie, telling her that she can go to the party tonight, but just don't tell Mike. And even Julie sees this as immature and irresponsible. But, you know, Susan thinks it's cute that Mike cares so much and she wants him to feel that he has a say. And this is when Mike turns up and overhears talk about the party again, to which Susan suddenly changes and tells Julie that she can't go. But as she leaves with Mike, she turns around and whispers, have fun. Yeah. Julie. Poor old Julie, as a teenage girl, is getting so many mixed messages. She does call it out, though. She's like, so you want him to feel like he's part of the decision-making process, but he's actually not. Yeah. Well, yeah. I get that. <laughs> but she's like, that's fine. I'm going to the party, so that's fine with me. Well, yeah, exactly. She's like, yeah, whatever. Even, But even Julie is calling this out. It's immature, Susan. It's irresponsible. Do you want to go to the party or not? He's your husband. <laughs> So Brie goes to Catherine's with a peace offering slash housewarming gift. The recipe for her mincemeat pie. I make mincemeat out of you. Uh, do Catherine... people still say that? <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine thanks her and they go inside uh, so that she can file it away in her recipe box. And Brie takes this opportunity to ask Catherine for her lemon meringue pie recipe. But Catherine apparently doesn't share that. You just said Catherine. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> she is clearly... Loving making Brie feel nosy and inferior. Oh, she's living like, for it. absolutely loving it. Refusing to hand out her secret ingredient. Well, it wouldn't be a secret. So, Catherine is... I will say this. Catherine is the Colonel Sanders of Desperate Housewives. And she is not handing out that secret ingredient for the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Right? I will not tell you my herbs and spices. Right? She's like, no, sorry. That dies with me. <laughs> what is it? Vanilla? Nutmeg? Paprika? Cumin? <laughs> So so after some sassy comments, Catherine notices that she's offended Brie. But Brie is more confused, apparently, that Catherine seems determined to ruin any chance of a friendship. And Catherine seems to think it's the other way around, with Brie taking control of every situation, like the lunch that Catherine suggested. Call her out. Right. More backhanded compliments ensue, and Brie ends up leaving empty-handed. I mean, she does have a point... What does give Brie the right to take over and organise who brings dessert to a lunch that Catherine suggested? But it, go- but... it, it goes back to the identity crisis. Yeah. Like Brie even says herself, you know, it's 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 what we do. It's what we've always done. You know, I always host our little get-togethers and I always bring dessert. It's, it's who Brie is. Yeah, so but... now she's got someone challenging her and she doesn't really know how to go about it she's got someone else that's now come into the lane and joined this friendship group that essentially does the same thing as her and how do you how do you handle that yeah and you know i love brie but i mean rightly so anyone can bring dessert yeah yeah you could always just have brought another dish but brie's brie's become comfortable Mm. and cozy with the 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 roles that all the women have the problem with becoming comfortable and cozy is that your recipes are never going to improve yeah which is why Catherine's is better. It's a good thing that she's got competition here. Exactly, you're and being even, challenged. Even Catherine's like, oh, I'm sure you can think, uh, find something that makes it even better than mine. It's a challenge, but Brie, you can do it. Yeah, I believe in you, Brie. We believe. We believe, Brie. We didn't mention, but Brie said 
oh come on like i gave you my mincemeat pie recipe and then she's all like yes and i know exactly what book you got it from yeah she's like yeah it's it's a good recipe i've got the book it came from what kind of a photographic memory right right you you remember exactly that recipe and exactly what book it came from it was passed down to me from my mother well that's your mother was betty crocker what the hell so rude like so rude there was see this is the problem there was no need for a comment like that catherine I guess it's Catherine doesn't really do very well when people keep on challenging her. She doesn't have tact. Like there's there's one thing to to call Brie out for the fact that you know she took control of a luncheon that you organised because that is rightfully so. But to just sort of question somebody's family and you know their mother, yeah, because basically going for a deep cut there, yeah, like you're insinuating that her mother really just took all of the family recipes out of cookbooks and masked them as her own well i imagine that when she got her new group of friends when she moved she probably became the head of those friends like brie is here yeah and also from what we've seen with her daughter she's very much like if i say no it means no mm. which is why her daughter's so scared to ever bring up her dad the creepy man in the doorway or therapy yeah so i don't think Catherine is used to being challenged and then to continue being challenged after she's already said no yeah that's true she's probably just <laughs> she's not used to this kind of incessant going at yeah i don't think she's used to it but i think she is ready for it yeah she's clearly ready to bring bring down brie a little bit if she has to if she has to yeah even not if she has she to make will. a few deep cuts not that she ever will oh no are you kidding could you make a pie? <laughs> <laughs> the only person that's capable of bringing down Brie is Brie. We've seen it. Yeah, we've seen Brie bring down herself. Oh, yeah. Oh, and Andrew. Andrew also is capable of bringing down Brie. But her biggest enemy is herself. Papa 911. Yeah. <laughs> So, Susan and Mike are taking advantage of an empty house, and Mike does take this moment to talk about Julie and thanks Susan for taking his side. Mike tells Susan he drove past the party earlier and it was out of control, and this panics Susan, who thinks that of an excuse, really, so she can leave, so she can run to the party and grab Julie before the police arrive. Susan trying to act all- sexy is really awkward. <laughs> yeah, I right know. Like, I'm going to do the shoulders. <laughs> so awkward, but good for you, Mike, with pregnant Susan and her massive boobs. I wouldn't say they were massive. Loving I said they were perky. Yeah. They were definitely perky. Loving that for you, Mike. But they weren't like massive. They weren't like Pamela Anderson or Big Ange or... <laughs> or know, one of those. Michelle Visage. <laughs> or one of those. <laughs> so it's Edie's first birthday, apparently, as there's only one candle on the cake. And Carlos presents her with the cake. After blowing out the single candle, Carlos wants to know what he got Edie I don't know why I wrote Christmas. <laughs> for Christmas? <laughs> In my notes, Carlos wants to know what he got Edie for Christmas. <laughs> oh, honey. When this episode comes out, we've still got two more episodes till Christmas. Um, so he wants to know what he got Edie for her birthday. And she hands him a card with the word yes on it. And Edie gets down on one knee and proposes. Although before that happens, Carlos pulls it out and goes, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> so um, awkward. It leaves him a little bit confused, the proposal. Like, she gets down on one knee, she proposes, and he's like, you're proposing? <laughs> I mean, that's so, fair enough. It's that's, a bit random. It's, but it's, so, it's not random, because they've apparently discussed marriage. Yeah, but they haven't really. I, they don't, haven't. I don't reckon they have. Mm, no, because Carlos even admitted that they had. Oh, did he? Yeah, to Susan. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. But it was sort of like a he told... Not Susan, sorry. To, we're getting all the names wrong today. Uh, to Gabby. And it was sort of like a... Oh, yeah, it was it was a conversation that was never going to go anywhere kind of statement that he said to Gabby. Read the room, do. <laughs> but, like... 
Uh, so Edie thinks it's a great idea as Carlos didn't want to spend too much and this proposal is essentially free, according to Edie. Obviously, you have to, you know, minus the cost of the card with the word yes on it. But other than that, on the envelope. Um, <laughs> Edie does have a backup plan, though, as Carlos seems unsure. So Edie does remind him that if the IRS gets wind of his offshore account, Edie cannot testify if she's his wife. Is that true? Yeah, spousal. Okay. It's like spousal... I can't remember what it is. It, the, the official term for it now is... Spousal privilege, I believe it's called. Oh, okay. Well, Edie trapped him like a mouse. Right. In a trap. Carlos isn't concerned, as nobody but Edie knows. But Edie does remind him that angry people do talk. And he eventually agrees. And Carlos and Edie are officially engaged. Oh, very manipulative. Woo! They're really painting Edie in a bad light this season. It's I been know. two episodes. She's the queen of manipulation in this season. She's, I'll tell you that. Edie is messy this season. We now cut to the party, this out-of-control party, according to Mike, where women are running around with their tops off and everybody's falling down on the front lawn drunk. Right, bitch where? Why? I saw no topless teenagers, which is a good thing. I would <laughs> emphasise. <laughs> yeah. It's a very good thing. But Mike is, I think, being a little dramatic. Yeah, just a little. It doesn't seem that out of control. Yeah, so Julie and Dylan are at this party, um, not really doing anything wild, just having a conversation in the middle of a room with loud music which is very difficult to do, so props to them. <laughs> um, Dylan is talking to Julie about what Karen said to her, but she's too nervous to talk to her mum about it, and Julie reminds her that she has a right to know about her dad. Damn, Julie. Getting involved much. Right? She's like, do you know what? You need to go to your mother, and you fucking stand up to her, and you backhand the bitch if she starts talking shit at you, and you just say, I have a right to know about my daddy, so where is he? I know, right? Agony Aunt Julie here. Right? She's like, right, what you need to do... She's the, she's the dear Deirdre of Desperate Housewives. There's there's a someone for Desperate Housewives in this episode. I'm, I'm telling you right now for everyone. The Colonel Sanders, the Baked Alaska Gate, the dear Deirdre. <laughs> yeah, and that is Julie. That is Julie here. And for all y'all that don't know, dear Deirdre was an agony aunt in the Sun newspaper. <laughs> oh, because I didn't know that. <laughs> she was so bad. It was so funny to read. Also, it's very realistic because the kitchen area is where you go, not just to make your drinks, but to chat. To chat. Very good, Desperate Housewives. Yeah. Very realistic. Like you've been to some parties. <laughs> you stop. You do stop and chat in the kitchen area. Mm. So that's very realistic. I like that. Susan turns up to find Julie, but the birthday boy gets too excited and drags her into a room full of creepy, horny teenagers who all believe that she's a stripper. Even though she walked in and she said, "I'm, I'm Julie's Susan mom. Meyer." Yeah, I'm Susan Meyer. I'm Julie's mom. Whether she said that she was Julie's mom or not, she still said she was a Meyer. So. <laughs> This boy got one look at Susan's boobs and all of the blood left his head, left his ears, went somewhere else. He couldn't hear anything. He was like, oh my God. Yeah. So she takes offence to the fact that they believe that she's a stripper and the truth eventually comes out to which Matt is very apologetic and throwing out compliments to try and sort of sweeten her up. (laughs) I'm pregnant. That's That's hard. hard. (laughs) Oh, that's so weird and creepy. That was so funny. Uh, he Matt leads her to Julie, who is annoyed and embarrassed, obviously, and Susan grabs both Julie and Dylan and takes them home. Well, yeah, because she's just standing at this party and then she looks over and sees her mum, half of her boobs hanging out, just tripping over people, clumsily trying to get to her. And she's like, what the hell? Yeah. Right before Dylan just said, oh, my mum's not like your mum. She's not cool like your mum. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so Julie moans at her mum for the... Conf- oh, well, actually, they get home first. 
Um, and then Julie moans at her mum for the confusing messages that she's sending out and doesn't get why she's being punished for doing exactly what was asked of her. And this leads Julie to teaching her mum another lesson in Desperate Housewives because Julie does that a lot. And the lesson is to stick to a decision and stop lying. Yeah, Susan's like, I get it, you're upset. And she's like, no, I'm confused. Mm. First you said I can go to the party, then you said I can't, but then you said I can if I behave, and then I behave and you kicked me out of the party. Mm. With Dylan. Yeah. You kicked Dylan out of the party as well. Oh, that is true. She also kicks Dylan out. That was crazy. And all she was doing was drinking orange, like fizzy orange. Yeah, orange soda. So they enter into the house and Mike is not impressed at the lying as someone called to check on Julie after they saw her leaving with the stripper. (laughs) Susan tries to deny everything, but Julie ends up telling Mike the truth, hanging Susan out to dry before going off to bed. Uh, Mike tells Susan that essentially it's up to her and he isn't fussed if she makes a decision that he doesn't agree with regarding Julie, but this new child will be their decisions and they forgive each other and get back to date night. Yeah, but if I were Mike, I would be a bit like, so you both went to the party. You literally left me in bed so you can go to a party. You just left me so you could go to a party. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's not really your scene though. Susan's story is my favourite in this episode. Really? Yeah, it's not the deepest or anything, but once again, it's the same as the last episode where they've pretty much done Susan's story brilliantly. Mm. They've given her something simple and relatable, which in this case is co-parenting with a partner who's not the dad. Yeah. Like, you know, people can relate to that and the struggles, but they've made it ridiculous. Well, yeah. And funny because it's Susan. So they are nailing the Susan stories this season. I mean, let's not speak too soon. It's only episode two. So far. (laughs) They are nailing them so far. Yeah, they are. Love that. So Lynette is in chemo with Gabby, who keeps finding excuses to leave for extended periods of time. Lynette is asking some genuinely interesting questions, I believe. Uh, But Gabby seems to be uncomfortable, right? And so not really paying attention. But like, what does happen with those giant scissors? Yeah, Do they get to keep them? But when she actually got Gabby to sit down, it was almost as if she had just sat down for an interview. Yeah. Gabby sits down, she's like, so what's it like being the first lady of Fairview? <laughs> I thought, this isn't MTV. Well, no, but at the same time, Lynette's just trying to keep her mind off of things and trying, probably trying to just keep Gabby talking. No, I know, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> but, um, like, yeah, I want to know what, do, if anybody knows what does happen to those giant scissors. I think they put them in the giant novelty office stationery cupboard <laughs> with the giant pens. They sell them back to Tiger. Yeah. So Gabby goes to leave again. And this seems to be the final straw for Lynette, who makes it known that she's not pleased with her. Gabby tells her again that hospitals are hard, but it doesn't mean that she doesn't care. And she goes to leave, but then turns around to tell Lynette the honest truth, which is that Gabby's dad died of cancer when she was young. So every day they thought that they would lose Gabby's dad, essentially. And so she was told that she had to smile and that she couldn't cry because her dad didn't want to see sadness. If you you cry, you're not allowed in the room. Yeah. And we have a clip. I sat there and I watched him die. His eyes were closed, but I thought he could still see me. So I kept smiling all night. When I was five. And on the plus side, I made a pretty good career out of knowing how to smile and I didn't really feel like it. But I can't pretend with you. Now when I'm scared, I'm going to lose you. Uh, Lynette is adamant that she isn't going anywhere and that Gabby has nothing to worry about and the friendship is fixed. Yeah, when Lynette said, you can just go, I'm fine. No, I'm fine, you go. It kind of broke my heart. I was like, oh, poor Lynette, but Mm. also poor Gabby. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to know that we get a bit of an understanding now as to 
sort of why Gabby is the way she is about Lynette and her chemo. Yes, um, what they seem to do in pretty much every season is they give a little hint of a Gabby backstory. Yeah. Like, they spice in some sadness with Gabby. Mm. Only a little bit at a time, though, until it kind of, like, builds up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which um, is something that I really noticed more from re-watching the whole season. Mm. Because you know where it goes to towards the end. You know, like, the overall final Test for Housewives. So you know what to keep your eye out on. And the little Easter eggs that they may sort of drop throughout the series when you re-watch it. Because you're like, oh, I didn't really register that innocuous comment in season one because it doesn't really make any reference to anything until season six, for example. Yeah, very that. Eva Longoria was amazing here. She really was. That was a, a slow build with the crying. Yeah. And the sadness. And I think she did a really good job. Yeah, and it was just she's got such a beautiful smile. She does. <laughs> when she smiled and she was like, you know, on the plus side I made a pretty good career out of smiling when I don't really feel like it. And then she smiles and I was like, oh, so sad. <laughs> yeah. This poor sad little model. <laughs> <laughs> so Dylan is looking at baby photos and trying to find the courage to speak to her mum about her dad. And that's literally all I have written on this scene. Yeah. Oh, I will. Well, it's a very I will brief say, scene. She grabs a photo album and she sees some clues as to some tampering in this photo album. Does she? Yeah, she's I looking at a photo even... and it's all cut along the side because it's not square. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking, Catherine, if you're going to concoct a story or a narrative in terms of Dylan's background or whatever you're doing here, you could have bothered to do something with this photo album. Mm. Like put in some fake photos or some photoshopped photos or something. Yeah, yeah. Rather, rather than just leaving clues of your tampering. <laughs> she probably doesn't really think that it will ever be picked up on. Because how often are you going to notice that unless you are specifically looking for something True. odd? Like half the time, you, a photo is just so mundane that you won't even register that it might have been tampered with unless you are looking for tampering. Yeah. Like you're going into it with that mentality. Because otherwise you just say, oh, that's a nice photo. And you go on to the next one and the next one. But now that... But she must have a story as to why it's been cut. Yeah, oh, no, no, there will be a story. Yeah. But I just mean that that's probably why she hasn't really thought much about covering it up, because it's just a photo. But but for, but for someone like Catherine, that's a bit messy. Yeah, but now that Dylan's starting to sort of form her own sort of theory as to what's been going on, she's starting to keep her eye out for more. Yeah, she's finding clues. Yeah, she's, she's now getting into the clue mindset. But God, one chat with Julie. And Karen. <laughs> Karen was the one that started this whole thing. Well, Karen is putting ideas in her head, but Julie's the one that's like, you need to stand up for yourself, girl. Yeah, You well, need to yeah. go over there and assert yourself. <laughs> one chat with Julie and she's like, oh, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a stand up to mum. So Brie was still in the kitchen trying to figure out Catherine's secret ingredient. But after so many failed attempts, she grabs the spare key to Catherine's house and sort of breaks in <laughs> whilst Catherine leaves well, to yeah. go and collect... Adam, because I think it was said at the end of the last scene, oh, you know, you can talk to me, Dylan, but it's got to be in the car because I need to go pick up Adam. Mm. So there you go. I forgot to mention that in the last scene. <laughs> she does. Dylan does start to go and talk to Catherine. I do like that they have the continuity of having it as the Delfino house in her cupboard as well. Yeah. Yeah. But she's got a monopoly of the keys. I, yeah. It's so strange. Like every neighbor seems to have everyone's key. Yeah. I don't, awkward. But I'm wondering if everyone has everyone's key the way that Brie has everyone's spare keys. Yeah. It's a bit weird. But this is exactly why I wouldn't give a spare key to a neighbour. No, like, yeah, let me give the spare key to the neighbour that's part of the NRA. 
<laughs> yeah, I know, right? And has like a million guns stored somewhere <laughs> in the house. So let's hope that we don't piss her off or she sort of suddenly flips. And also, it's probably a good idea to tell a neighbour, I've got a spare key to your house. If, you know, you want to give it to someone else. Yeah. I probably shouldn't keep hold of this. That's really, yeah. that's really naughty, Brie. It is really. So... Yeah, she breaks in to try and steal the recipe, and she notices that the recipe box has a lock on it, which I swear it didn't have a lock on it earlier. I was going to bring that up because it didn't, and that's not a continuity error. I think that's literally Catherine... I think Catherine is knowing what Brie is like. She's not just playing the game, she's predicting the other player's moves. Yeah, I know, right? She is playing chess. Catherine is the Bobby Fisher of... (laughs) After that, lo- <laughs> yeah, after that last conversation, she, she's like, well, I'm putting a lock on that. Mm. So she then goes over to Mike's so she can grab a tool and break the lock. <laughs> and as she goes to Catherine's to do that. Oh, wait, you, we can't skip over this conversation. This was so funny. <laughs> she goes to Mike and she's like, I'm doing some baking and I just need to borrow something. It's it like, is, what do you need? Flour, flour sugar? <laughs> And then you just see her walking in with some bolt cutters. Yeah, that's what it's called. I wrote tool because I couldn't remember what the tool was. I'm gay, guys. Don't judge. They're bolt cutters. Bolt cutters. But do you know what I know why they're called bolt cutters? Mm. I think it's um, Silent Hill. Oh, yeah, maybe. Or Resident Evil or something. Yeah. <laughs> so she's back in Catherine's house now and she is literally about to break the lock, which is not subtle at all. Because when Catherine comes home and says that the lock is broken... What do you think's going to happen, Brie? Yeah, I was thinking that. So you're going to break in and steal the recipe and then, well, how are you going to explain it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because she's going to know who to go to about this. Yeah. Are you going to just smash up some other things so it looks like a break-in? Oh, maybe, yeah. Oh, that would be a good idea. Like, what you do is you break the lock with the bolt cutters and then you throw, like, find the recipe and then you throw the box on the floor and then smash up some other shit as well. So it looks like, and then as you leave, you just break the window. Yeah, maybe it'd be too similar to what Carlos did. Yeah. Well, yeah, it would have been too similar to what Carlos did, but we've already established that there was, like, a, a crime wave on desperate on, on the lane, so actually it could just be going off of that crime wave. Yeah, Nobody because... would suspect Brie then. They'd be like, oh, well, there was a crime wave a few days ago. Yeah, we could have had a continuation of the intro. Yeah. What a wasted opportunity. Yeah, and in this time it could have been Brie running through the back gardens. <laughs> what? Instead of Carlos. <laughs> With the fake pregnant <laughs> belly, yeah. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. Why didn't she just say that she's doing some DIY or, I don't know, upholstering some chains and she needs yeah. to, I don't know. I'm sad. I feel like there was a deleted scene with Mike giving Brie the bolt cutters. Yeah. It was clearly just meant to be funny. Yeah. There wasn't really logic there. So Catherine comes back with Dylan and Adam who are now rowing about Dylan's dad. And Catherine claims that Karen is senile and telling lies, but Dylan doesn't really think so. Brie quickly hides and overhears the rest of the conversation, which gets a bit out of hand once Catherine slaps Dylan around the face. Adam tells Catherine that maybe they should talk to Dylan and tell her everything, otherwise she's just going to keep asking questions, but Catherine just thinks they need to come up with better lies. Yeah, wasn't a fan of the slap. No, me either. Bit too far, not gonna lie. Um, This essentially leaves Brie gagged as she sneaks out, and she goes back home to dish the gossip to Orson. Yeah, that was also quite a funny bit as well, because she's like, I just broke into a house to steal the recipe. And Orson's like, oh, that's that, a bit extreme. That, yeah, he just he's so casual. He's like, oh, that's a bit extreme, but at least at least you got it. Yeah, he's like, at least you know her secret. And Brie's like, yes, and it has nothing to do with pie. <laughs> Gag. <laughs> Honestly, though, Brie knows that she has a secret. Mm. Brie, that's, ha- that's her nemesis. Yeah. Oh, that's not good for Catherine. Mm-mm. Let's give her Brie. I love it. <laughs> so... 
Carlos is meeting someone for a drink and making arrangements to do something to get Edie out of his way so that he can get back with Gabby and money exchanges hands. But what's the money for? I know that was it was well devious. It really was devious. So I I can't let her ruin my life. Like, so your mind immediately goes to he's hiring a hitman to kill Edie. Yeah, or maybe someone to go over there and whack her in the knees. Yeah, but is that what's going to happen? Because that kind of feels like it's the obvious route, and Desperate Housewives never really seems to go for the obvious route. It would also be an illogical route because I don't think Carlos would do that to Edie. <laughs> what killer? I don't think Carlos is shy about doing that. <laughs> Why? Because because she is getting in his way, and he just wants to get back with Gabby. But it do, it is kind of an implication that he wants her dead. Yeah. We are now at the hospital with the girls who are having a chemo party for Lynette and getting a photo of all of them, you know, for their memories. Yeah. (laughs) Mary Alice talks about the deception of smiles and what they mean. And some show their teeth as a warning to enemies. And we see Catherine and Brie showing their teeth to each other like, I don't know, angry gorillas. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Some use them to keep sadness at bay. And we see Gabby using her cliche fake smile. That's very sad. Yeah. Others pull silly faces to mask their fear, and Lynette pulls a silly face. That's really sad. <laughs> Susan doesn't really get a point in this little ending. and well, she, to... She's probably just legitimately smiling. Yeah, she's just there. She's oblivious to everything that else right. is going on right now. She's fine. She's like, oh, I had a nice chat with Mike about our new coming baby. My boobs are looking great right now. <laughs> I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> um, and then we cut to Carlos, who has a rare genuine smile as he knows his problems will soon be over also he thinks also he thinks indeed ominous mm. ominous so yeah that's that's the episode that's the ending yeah <laughs> so we're now going to move on to our next segment where joel's going to give us the gayest moment of the episode so joel what do you have for the gayest moment uh, so my award for gayest moment goes to Brie for losing her entire identity over a pie. <laughs> yeah. I think that's very gay. Right? Especially lemon meringue. Lemon meringue is such a gay pie. What? I love it. <laughs> is it? Yeah. It's the word meringue. Yeah. It's very gay. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did almost give it to Edie for just driving over to Gabby's place. Right? Just I'm just going to drive two houses down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it did almost go to Edie as well. I know it's America and your houses are spaced apart, but two houses still isn't drive worthy. No, it's not drive worthy at all. So uh, congratulations, Brie, for the over dramatics of losing your identity over a pie. Perfect. Um, and so, yeah, that's my gay moment. And then what do you have for your straightest moment? My award for straightest moment. Goes to the dirty teenagers thinking that Susan's a stripper and trying to put singles in her corset. I mean, yeah. Or ones. Singles? Ones? I don't really know the, the straight technical term for it. So. One dollars? I think it's it's singles or ones. It's one of those. And that was very straight energy. Benjamin Franklin's? Yeah. Washington's? Uh, I think Benjamin Franklin. Isn't a Benjamin Franklin 100? I have no idea. I've got no idea. Sorry. Um, so, bravo to those dirty teenagers. And so now we move on to B's uh, award for best and worst parent. So B, who do you have for the best parent of the episode? Oh, I don't have one. <laughs> do you not? No, I, I really tried to think of one, but I couldn't really think of any good parenting. There wasn't really much. The only parenting in this episode was Susan. Yeah, just Susan and Catherine. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. That's all there was. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe. You know what? No, I'm gonna. Okay, so my award for best parent of the episode. 
he's thought of one right at this moment. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and give it to Mike. Okay. For the co-parenting of Julie. Because he, yeah. he was looking out for our best interest. He so, was, yeah. So you know what? Yeah, I'm going to give it to Mike. Yeah. Okay, bravo, Mike. He was sweet. He was. So who do you have for the worst parent of the episode? My award for... Worst parent of the episode. Oh, I was spoiled for choice, wasn't I? <laughs> you really were. Absolutely spoiled for choice. Now, there were two choices. <laughs> now, I could have given it to Susan for her mistreatment of poor Julie this episode. You know, telling her, you can go to the party. You can't go to the party. I don't trust you. Mm. But really, it really had to go to Catherine for slapping Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> it just had to. Yeah, it was a bit overdramatic. And just, then just a tad. And then just trying, like, she can't talk to me like that after what I've done for her. We have to start telling better lies. I mean, at the end of the day, Susan was just trying to look out for Julie when she and was Mike. kicking her out of the party. Yeah. And embarrassing her in front of all our friends. Yeah. Well, yeah, Susan was on like a... She was just trying to keep balance between yeah. the force. She's trying to keep the peace. Yeah. So um, there we go. Bravo to Mike and Catherine. Bravo. Our two award winners. Bravo. Also, a special shout out to Eva Longoria, who was just so good this episode. Oh, yeah. Fabulous. Probably had the least to do, but the acting was really good. Oh, yeah. She had the probably the least to do, but was possibly the most memorable scene. Also, shout out to the massive coffee cups. Yeah. I could never. And shout out to the pies. Shout out to the pies. Shout out to the lemon meringue pies. I love so, a lemon meringue so pie. So many pies in this one episode. Right? Massive bowl of lemons. And I would have killed to have been on the lane while Brie was making all those lemon meringue pies. I fucking love a lemon meringue pie, guys. Lemon meringue pie is great. It is so good. This episode made me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, that is that is all for our season four episode two yep that was season four episode two smiles of a summer night if you have any questions queries comments and theories or you just want to chat if you just want to chat where can they find us joel so you can find us on instagram at boyfriends review and you can find us on twitter at bfs review you can also email us our, our email address is boyfriends review at outlook.com and our, our artwork is done by our friend Louis, who is currently going by Doc Red Monk Design on Instagram. He is getting a rebrand, but... Um, it's probably going to be a slow process for that. If that changes, it will be in the description. Mm. And you can also visit his Etsy page through that. And he does do commissions. He does. So join us next week, and we'll be back in your ear holes with Season 4, Episode 3, The Game. Ooh, that sounds exciting. And then after that... Oh, maybe yes. something Christmassy. Yes. Who can say? Our um, episode four. It will be episode four, won't it? It will be episode it four. It will be episode four. Comes out on Christmas Day, guys. I know. We have something special planned. So we have something a little bit special planned, a little something a little bit more Christmassy for that day. So that day, it won't be a specific episode of Desperate Housewives. Also, if you do follow us on on our social medias. It's really obvious what it is. So good for you guys. If you don't, you're not going to know. So head on over to there yeah. and follow us. Yeah. And we will see you next week with Season 4, Episode 3, The Game. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.